Well, if you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 20 through 23. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, that, Lord, that you've given us the strength to be here, to be the people that you would have us be, to sit at your feet, to drink from the depth of your word. Lord, our desire is to really honor you and to glorify you and, and magnify you. And God, we want to pause. And even in the worship, where we sang that you love us, but Lord, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. So Lord, those words that we love you cannot express what's really in our hearts. Thank you that you know our hearts. And all God's people said, Amen. Colossians chapter 1, we'll look at, as I mentioned, verses 20 through 23. I've titled the message, it's not a, a unique title, but it's Reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. The reconciliation we'll talk about as we go through is probably one of the most important doctrines in the Bible. Follow with me as we begin in verse 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, and having made peace through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated or hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you to his fleshly body through the death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was also proclaiming all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, am a minister. Paul has been confronting and will confront as we go along the heresy of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is probably the most subtle and dangerous of any teaching that went through the church. Um, it became widespread in the, in the beginning of that early church. It, its fullest measure was probably at about the 3rd century A.D. in every intellectual Christian congregation. There simply wasn't a congregation that was not affected, touched by it, in some, some way in the Roman Empire. The Bible doesn't come out and, and really use that word Gnosticism at all. Yet, when we look at 1 Timothy 6.20, Paul warned Timothy against what was falsely called knowledge or gnosis. It's mentioned only here in the New Testament as far as this, this false knowledge. And let me read 1 Timothy 6.20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding, notice, worldly, empty chatter that's opposing arguments is what is falsely called knowledge. While there is true knowledge, there's also this false knowledge. In the church, even today, there is this false knowledge. There are cults within what is called 
Christendom. There are many professing churches that profess they believe in Jesus Christ, but do not believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible. They do not believe that Jesus Christ himself is enough, that his work on the cross is sufficient. And it's very subtle. There was someone in our church a long time ago that had moved away back to the mainland. They were in, the, in a church, and they seemed to say all the right words. And after about nine months, they realized the church wasn't teaching a Jesus Christ of the Bible. See, these false teachers have about 90%, I'm just making this up, 90% truth, but 10% poison. How much poison would you want to drink or eat or willing to allow your kids to be exposed to? See, this is what Paul is dealing with. In fact, there are five words when you come to the New Testament that are very important that every Christian should know and understand because it helps him to realize who he is in Christ Jesus. That first one is justification. That is that, that standing. The, the Christian is a sinner, but he stands before God again just as he's never sinned. The moment that he believes and trusts in Jesus Christ, God sees him just as he's never sinned and declares every believer in him who believes in the Son, Jesus Christ, to be righteous. Well, practically, there isn't a person here that's perfect. And realistically, there's not one person that is good. The scripture says, no, not one. Yet our goodness is of Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Savior. The second one I want to call your attention to is the word redemption. It's a, a sinner stands before God as a slave. And he's been granted freedom, but he's redeemed. And all of these are tied together. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And you're saved and even going on to be being saved. The second one is the sinner stands before God as a debtor. But yet in Christ Jesus, the debt is paid and is forgotten. And that's how you could stand justified. You're redeemed. And God sees you just as you never sinned. And he separates your sins as far as the east is from the west. Well, the fourth one I want to call your attention to is the word adoption. And we've been looking at these words as we go through. And that's where the sinner stands before God as a stranger but he's made a son or a child. He's brought into this family of God and you are a child of God. You are an heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 1.5 makes that very clear. And finally, the fifth one is reconciliation. It's the sinner that stands before God was an enemy. He was enemy, blinded by the God of this world, but he becomes a friend of God, and you are a friend of God. Not only a child, but a friend. And you have an intimate relationship with him if you are a true believer. Now, having a complete, really, understanding, and, and this may seem like an intellectual study, but it's very important because doctrine simply is teaching. And we need to understand the teaching, the author's intent. He wants us to know the freedom that we have in him. 
But having this complete understanding of the doctrine of salvation, we need to have a handle on these five words. Because the enemy will attack you, and where he attacks you most often is your mind. You are not good enough to even be a child of God. Why do you even call upon his name? How do you think that you're ever going to go to heaven? Or God could love you. It's understanding these doctrines, understanding your position, understanding what God has done for you, because God has set his eye upon you, and he set his love upon you, and he lavishes you day in and day out with that love. Well, it's today in Colossians, in our text, in verses 20 through 23, we see a, really a concise look, really on what reconciliation looks like and what it means. And really, the, the word itself means a, a change in relationship. While you were enemies, you're, you're brought into this relationship with a true and living God. You can boldly come to that throne of grace because of the relationship, because of the work that has been done. It means really thoroughly and completely and totally reconciled to God. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. You're a child of God. You have that assurance. You can have that peace of God. That God will never leave you or God will never forsake you. He doesn't all of a sudden wake up one day and say, Oh, I didn't know she or he would do such a thing. God knew you while you were in your worst, and yet he set his love upon you. Now in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, it refers to a, a woman who is being reconciled to her husband. And then in Romans 5, 10, in verse, uh, verse 10, in 2 Corinthians 5, in verses 18 through 20, it speaks of God and man being reconciled because of that broken relationship. But nowhere, please hang on to this, because there's a Gnosticism within the church that teaches just the opposite of what I'm going to say. Look at what the scripture says. Nowhere in the New Testament does it ever speak of God being reconciled to man. See, God wasn't the one that had sinned. God wasn't the one that had walked away. It wasn't his fall, but it was man's fall. It's man that's always being reconciled to God. And yet so often within the body of Christ, universally, they have the, the doctrine all mixed up and people don't know what to believe. Have you ever turned on a radio station and one teacher says one thing and, and the next radio station says another thing that's just the opposite of it? And yet one station has this teaching against it, opposing and opposing and opposing and opposing, and it's every wind of doctrine. What do you believe? There's only one thing that you and I should ever believe. It's what does the Word of God say? What is the author's intent. As I mentioned, while you are yet in your worst, God set his love upon you. See, God's attitude toward man was always and is love. Love. If we're honest, every one of us at some point of doubted the love of God. Would that be true? I'm not going to ask you to hold your hands up, but I will hold my hand up. There have been times when the enemy has filled my fire. How could God love you? 
I've even heard it from the pulpit, on the radio, from different people. God loves you while you're in your worst. God loves you. And when you question that, look at the cross. Look at what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's his work upon the cross that has paid the price. He has never done anything but love you. He wants the best for you. Everything that happens and is allowed in your life, it's for your good, to bring you to him, to know his love, to know his grace. We're in a fallen world and things happen in this life that do not seem fair, but God can bring beauty out of ashes. And when God allows it, it's to refine you, it's to bring you close, to to recognize that he loves you with this everlasting love. Why the world may leave you, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. See, reconciliation, as we look at it, it, is really about everything that was accomplished through the death of Christ upon the cross. He died for you. He died for me. He paid the price we could never pay. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because he loves you. Look back at verse 20. We're going to look at the plan of reconciliation. And through him to reconcile, notice, all things to himself. And having made peace through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. See, God's ultimate plan, and I include here, the universe is to reconcile all things to himself. This world is not the world that God created. If you stop and think about it in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, it, it speaks that God saw everything he made and it was very, very good. I'm going to add those words. It was perfect. It was without flaw. It was without sin. In fact, it was before sin. Yet, in Genesis chapter 3, God spoke again to Adam, and there's this dialogue that's going on, and it says, Then Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree in which I've commanded you, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you'll eat all the days of your life. This is where the curse came about. This is where the world is cursed. The whole earth groans and moans, looking for the, again, the, the redemption of this earth, but the reconciliation, this peace with God. And one day there's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. See, sin destroyed that perfect harmony, that perfect balance not only between the creatures, but between all the creation and man. Romans 8.22, notice with me on the screen. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers, pains of childbirth together until now. Now, I don't understand it, but, but what we're hearing is this earth knows it was not created for this purpose. This was not the norm. It wasn't the natural one day all of these things will be gone. Romans 1, 21. Notice what it says. For even though they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now referring to man here, they knew God, but they refused not to acknowledge him, to worship him, to accept him. And every one of us in this world, if you've shared with your family, with your friends, you know that sometimes they just kind of put their hands up or they kind of do this and have you step back. Let me tell you, that was you before God opened up your heart. Before you were born again. And I'm going to say there were people praying for you. There were people that God put in your life. God was allowing you to go through circumstances that you would acknowledge Him, that you would be broken and humbled and acknowledge Him as God and say, God, come into my life. He allows us to see the sinfulness of our own ways to show us that we're blinded by the God of this world. In fact, look with me in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Satan, at the beginning, when the heaven and earth were created, is there blinding the minds of Eve and Adam. And he's here today blinding the minds of the people in the world. Because they're blinded. They're doing what is natural. Until their eyes are opened. Until they come to know that the only hope in this world is in Jesus Christ. They are blind. And if you've been born again, your eyes have been opened. Your spiritual eyes. That you can see God with faith. You can see that in, in ashes that he can bring beauty out of, out of circumstances that are crumbling, that God can use it for good. And that's why he says, consider it all a joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the test in your faith produces endurance. That you will know him, you will have an intimate relationship with him, and you'll trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding during his millennial kingdom, the effects of this curse will begin to be reversed. And the Bible gives us a glimpse of what is restored creation will be like. Can you imagine this world when the curse is reversed? Have you ever really stopped and pondered? There's, there's literally going to be this millennial kingdom where God will fulfill every promise to Abraham and all the descendants and think about this wondrous, glorious God that, that is going to change everything and bring it back just like it was in the Garden of Eden. Well, Ephesians 2.2, in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now walking or working in the sons of disobedience. Those people cannot understand. What God is going to do, look at with me at Isaiah 11, though, 6 and 9, it's going to change. Notice there in verse 6, it says, The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. And also the cow and the bear will graze, and their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play at the hole of a cobra and the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den and they will not hurt or destroy 
in all the holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters will cover the sea. Anyone want to be there at that time? I do. But you know what's going to be, what's interesting about this is? Every believer will be there ruling and reigning with Christ during this millennial reign. You will literally see it. You will literally experience it. See, God in creation will be reconciled. The curse of Genesis chapter 3 will be removed. And the Lord will make everything new. And finally, after that millennial kingdom, there will indeed be a new heaven and a new earth. And both Peter and John talk about it. Let me show you. 2 Peter 3.13 says this, But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, one of the things I've experienced lately and people are just depressed. They look at the news, they're depressed. They go to work, they're depressed. The world's ways are different than our ways. They seem to be becoming more evil and dark every day. But in the end, God will reverse this curse. He will open the minds and the hearts of those He's chosen to be with him, and they will experience the fullness of joy. Look with me in Revelation 21, verse 1. And then I saw the new heaven, new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer a sea. That's kind of a bummer for surfers. They, they, every time they read it, they grumble to me. But I tell you, God has so much more for you and me in heaven than you could ever ever imagine. I use that phrase because it's so meaningful to um, some people that I minister to is the best is yet to come. And I like that because some days it is really hard to see people go through what they're going through. The means of reconciliation, it's important to understand because it's there again in verse 20 and in 22a, having made peace through the, the blood of the cross. It has now reconciled you to his fleshly body through his death. See, it's Christ's work that reconciles you to God. He brings you to him. He brings you into this right relationship. And all we do is we put our trust and we put our faith in this faithful God who is able to save us and to keep us until that day. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you are not redeemed, notice, with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as a lamb, unblemished and spotless blood of Christ. People have a hard time with the, the blood. And, you know, you watch TV and, and, and some have become so insensitive. They see blood on the screen all the time. And some, they just kind of freak out at it. What it's talking about is Messiah's blood. And understanding in the Old Testament, the sacrifice and the blood sacrifice. 
and understand there were times at least 100,000 lambs would be sacrificed in Jerusalem and there would literally be a stench and a river of blood that would run down into the valley below Jerusalem. A reminder, the wages of sin is death. Or think with me in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God and they tried to hide from God and, and God slayed an animal. It doesn't say he slayed an animal, but what did he do? He brought animal skins. If he brought animal skins, there needed to be the first death. And there was blood shed. And the blood is a reminder that wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. There needed to be this sinless lamb of God. And it's this precious blood. This innocent victim that would give his life willingly for you and me. And it's interesting when it talks about this, again, this whole idea, that is, is this, it gives us this graphic picture and you perhaps have seen them, a violent death of animals suffered. I have a, a video that shows, again, a, um, the Samaritans sacrificing a lamb. They still sacrifice lambs today. And a celebration, but to watch them literally, the lambs not wanting to go forward, knowing what's happening. And it slices the neck and the blood runs out. And there's a celebration going on. They understand without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It's so important to understand. And we don't understand that concept. But to see the life leave that lamb. And the blood put upon every person. They take the blood and they put it under the head. They're covered with the blood of the lamb. And it's a symbolic picture. And if you've been born again, you too are covered with the blood of the Lamb. Covered so God sees you through the work of the cross, what Jesus Christ did for you and me. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 11 and 12. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into a holy place by the high priest has an offering for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the camp, being that he was crucified outside that wall. It was his blood that cleanses us. There's nothing magical about that blood. And some people go and they plead blood over all the seats. It's by faith, knowing what Jesus Christ has done for you and me, we trust it was sufficient. If you remember that mercy seat, that again, that God said He would meet us upon that mercy seat, the two cherubim leaning over the top of it, and the blood would be sprinkled, and He would meet us there. And see, His blood provides that mercy for you and me, and we receive that grace of salvation. The reference to Christ's blood stresses the, the link between that violent death and the violent death, really, of animals. Look with me in John 10, verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. And no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. This commandment I received from the Father. Jesus willingly went to the cross and laid down his life for you 
when we begin to doubt the love of God, look at all that Jesus endured for you and me. Sadly, many will step back and they don't want to talk about the blood. Oh, I need to die for my own sins. But you couldn't. You couldn't live that sinless, perfect life. No one could live by the law. The law had a purpose. It was to bring us. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It could not save you. It could not save me. God loves you with this everlasting love. And His love never changes. Even when you sin, when you fall short, and every one of us will fall short, He loves you. His love never changes. You may break that fellowship, but He's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness when you confess your sins. He's there. You don't need to go to a priest. You don't need to go to a pastor. You boldly go to the throne of grace. One thing I also like is Jesus chose the moment of his death. He chose willingly to go. Look with me in Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God is alive today. Jesus is alive today by his life, by him giving himself, dying, resurrected from the grave. We too have life. Now the the blood of Christ, as I mentioned in a roundabout way, is really just simply a symbolic sense. It's, It's by faith. Just as we see Christ with our eyes of faith. I I don't see Christ in in a figure now. I will face to face one day, and you will too. But you can see Christ moving in a person, in the circumstances. You can see his hand guiding and leading. In the same way, we see that his blood covers us. It protects us. it, It cleanses us. It's just simply symbolic. Just as you and I are seated in the heavenlies, not in a physical sense. But I know in heaven, one day I'll be there. Be there with the King. And you will be too. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Is it not the cup of blessing which we bless and share in the blood of Christ? Is it not bread that we break in sharing of the body of Christ? Symbolically, some people take this Literally, that when they take the cup, it, 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 it becomes blood. It never becomes blood. It's only symbolism. It is a reminder. And when we take communion, it's a, it's a memorial of what Christ has done for you. And I believe every one of us here should want to take communion in their own private life, separate from the congregation here, just to sit alone with the Lord in your own house. To have the fruit of the vine and the bread and and just ponder upon him. Ponder upon his love. It is so strengthening in your faith. When the enemy attacks you, you know that God has spoken and God has revealed himself 
Look with me in Hebrews 9.22, and according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, but without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessary that Jesus would die the violent death that he did. Sometimes that's a wake-up call for many. If you remember the Passion film, and there are many films like that, there, there were several that I had an opportunity to talk to, and they come to me and say, did it really happen like that? And I could honestly say, it was much worse than the movie. Because if we really portrayed it the way the scripture says, you could not look at it. Knowing that Jesus Christ, God himself, died such a violent life in the flesh for you and me. Fully God, fully man, but in his humanity he died. If just bleeding could buy us, though, salvation, why did Jesus simply not just bleed without dying? Romans 5, 9, and 10 says this, much more than having been justified by his blood, we are saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled we should be saved by his life. It was necessary that Jesus Christ would die upon the cross. Prophecy prophesied this hundreds and hundreds of years before his death. The blood was the, the shedding of blood was is really the atonement. Atonement for our sins. Bloodshed was always a, a design, as I mentioned, in the Old Testament. And the sacrifices, and look with me in Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by the reason of the life that makes atonement, a covering for your sin. It was Messiah's blood that would cover you and me, our sins, for all eternity. Look again at the screen, Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do, weak as though it, through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness, notice, of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus hanging on the cross. Every one of our sins were imputed to him. In his humanity, he died upon the cross, taking your sin and my sin upon him. Now, you know your sin, and I know my sin. And Jesus went to the cross knowing our sin because he loved you with this everlasting love. If Jesus Christ is only a man, or only an emanation of, of God, he could not reconcile God and man. But he's fully God. He's fully man. And his death satisfied the wrath of God. And see, it's here that Paul hammers, hammers away at the false teaching. Colossians 
heretics that Christ was just a mere spirit. He was just a mere man. He wasn't God. Even within the church, there have been people that have come through through the years. They come with another agenda, another doctrine. They have a a great knowledge. I'm going to tell you, in the Bible, there is nothing new. Whatever I speak to you, whatever I read, it's been spoken for over 2,000 years. It will just be presented in a different way because of the personality. But the Gnosticism has a deeper knowledge. Exalting themselves, well, if you only knew what I knew. The Bible really doesn't mean this. Christ was just this spirit that came down and emanated from God. Or you have to read our books. The Bible is not enough. Christ alone is not enough. In fact, you need to do works. In fact, you have to be good. Because if you do something before you die that's sin, you haven't confessed it, you will go to hell. And that is never what the Bible teaches. Many of us have been affected by suicide. Friends, maybe family. The church is often taught that that is the unpardonable sin. It never says that in the Bible, but they say it really says that there is only one sin that no person can ever be forgiven of. That's the continual rejection of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Well, let's look at the aim of reconciliation. It's in verse 22. In verse 22, verse, uh, part P, it says, Order present, uh, present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. See, this aim of reconciliation is to really to present you holy and blameless. Is there anyone holy here today? Mm-mm. That's the clue. Uh-uh, no one. But one day, the work will be finished. And you are God's workmanship Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. What is he talking about the day of Christ Jesus? That is the rapture of the church. When God takes us to be with him to the, the Bema seat where he's going to reward you for your good works. Reconciliation. It's to present his elect holy and pure before him. Notice Jude one twenty four. Now to him, and I love these words, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of, of his glory and blameless with great glory. I was focusing on something there, and, and I love those words. Let me call your attention to it. Um, and now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... I was uh, going up the stairway one night in my house in the dark. And I was carrying some coffee. It was early in the morning and I spilt some coffee and I slipped and fall. Boy, did I need to have him there to prevent me from stumbling. 
All of us understand that stumbling. But in a spiritual sense, he is able, notice, to keep you from stumbling. He's able to keep you until that day. See, our faith rests in a faithful God. If it rests in trust in you, you are in big trouble. And I love this verse because all of us want to do the right thing, but sometimes we don't do the right thing. And yet we know that God will use that circumstance to perfect our walk as we continue to walk with the Lord. Now that word holy means to be separated from sin. Not only does it mean, again, separated from sin, but it means set apart to God. Because God cannot have sin in his presence, so we have to be separated from sin, to be separated unto him. Notice Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be, again, holy and blameless before him in love. See, this is what God is going to bring you to. This is, again, that goal, this aim. He will finish this work in you that one day you will be holy and pure and without sin and blameless. No one will be able to find fault with you because God has finished that work in your life and my life. That word blameless means without blemish. And again, Hebrews 9.14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. He was that spotless lamb of God. To cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. It's no longer by living by good works. It's in what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. Making us blameless. Because none of us will ever live a perfect life on this side of eternity. But one day, as he's perfecting us, he will make us perfect. It's interesting that word or phrase, beyond reproach, really goes beyond blameless. It means not only that that we're without blemish, but also that no one can really bring a charge against you. Have you ever had anyone just come up and accuse you? Just find fault with you? Well, let me read Romans 8.33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Look again at Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, and he who accuses them before God day and night. There is accuser in this world, and he is rapid working in this world. He's blinded the mind, again, of the unbeliever. And when a person makes accusation, verbal, hurtful, they have submitted to the accuser of the brethren. You're either see, in submitting to Christ or you're submitting to Satan. And he works in people, accusing. But I love the fact that Jesus continually intercedes for you at the throne of the Father. He's mine. She's mine. They're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Those are words to rejoice over. Those are words that should bring peace to our hearts. 
Christ's reconciliation makes every believer holy, blameless, and beyond reproach before God. God sees us now as we will be in heaven. And one day you will have glorified bodies, glorified minds. The work will be done. Well, this is important. The next point I want to call your attention to is really the evidence of reconciliation. The evidence of reconciliation. Look at verse 23 with me. And, and I put it, and of course I'm doing this all on computer, and, and I put my verses here, and I have that word if in verse 23. If indeed, that's in your text. And I, I just made that word if big on that page. See, it's a condition. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which is proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have been made a minister. See, I make it big if, because there are many people in this world are deceived. They think they're going to heaven because they've said a sinner's prayer. Perhaps their friends, their family, their associates. But the Bible makes it very clear, if there's a condition, this is how you're going to know whether a person is a true believer, if they've been reconciled, it will be a changed life. Remember, we talked about that word, reconcile, it means to be changed completely and totally reconciled. But there are many who profess to be believers, but they are not believers no matter what words they say. That's why the scripture makes it very clear that we are to examine ourselves in 2 Corinthians 13 to see if we're of the faith. The Bible makes it clear, do not deceive yourselves. Because see, many will deceive themselves. There are many that don't want to know the truth that will set them free because it causes accountability. Accountability to God and accountability to others. Look with me. One of the saddest truths in the Bible is Matthew 7, verse 22 and 23. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, in your name perform miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. These people are are trusting in their works. They're trusting in what they did. Maybe what they gave. But notice the end of it. Verse 23. And then I'll declare to them I never knew them. See, God wants to have a relationship with you. Just as you would talk to your husband, your wife, or your kids. He wants to have dialogue with you. He wants you to, to stop and sit and spend time with him good works are not always the evidence of a person being saved it is a changed life it's one that has a relationship with a living God one that is quick to confess their sins knowing that God is faithful and just to cleanse them of all unrighteousness The one who has this relationship knows that one day God will come and take him to be with them and be with them in eternity. No sinner's prayer ever saves a person. 
It's coming into that relationship, making him the Lord of your life. One of the true marks of a genuine Christian is, is really seen in that continuing in the faith. Firmly established and steadfast. Just like coming in that driveway that one day we'll be able to fix that, those potholes. You ever hit the roof when you come in and hit one of those potholes? There are potholes in life. And we continue through life no matter what we're going through. We continue steadfast in Christ knowing that he'll finish that work in us one day. And one day we'll see him face to face. Think of the, the parables in Matthew 13. And the first one it starts out the parable of the sower and the four different soil conditions. And out of those four, only one group had prepared their hearts. Only one group showed fruitful that they were truly believers and continued. In the other groups, there were some that fall away very quickly. They were excited, but they would fall away. Or when difficult things happen in their life, they would fall away. Let's say, continue day by day, no matter what's going on in life. God is good when the world is crumbling. God has called you and me to be a light unto this world. Let me read John 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples. Let me read it again. And Jesus saying to the Jews who believed in him, If you continue in that word, then you're truly my disciples. If you continue. If you are a man and woman of the word, if you know me, Jesus is the word of God and it's through the word of God that he'll often speak to you and me. As if something jumped off the page when you're reading, you'll stop and you, and you have to pause and you have to think. Sometimes it might reflect your own life. Sometimes it's a, an opening, an understanding. Sometimes it's a, a preparation for a word that you might give to someone else. If you continue... That means not just reading the word, but walking it out in your life. You've got to know what it says before you can walk it out in your life. Then, this is what reveals, are you a true disciple? One who has put himself under him. This sees him as the Lord of their lives. Again, Jesus began that whole idea. So Jesus was saying to them, if you continue. See, many people have deceived and will deceive and continue in that deception. And sometimes this is not taught because it makes people uncomfortable. But the greatest thing I can do is, is, is bring the word to you and you have to decide, am I in Christ? Am I rooted in him, growing in him? Do I know that if something would happen today, that I'd go to be with the Lord? Or I'd go and see my wife with the Lord one day? Because no pastor wants anyone to have a false assurance. The Bible repeatedly testifies that those who truly are reconciled will continue in their faith. Now there's a red flag when people step away from the church and they never go back to church. I've been hurt by the church. The fact is, the church is not this building. 
the church is the people. We congregate together. We, we get in the word together. We pray for one another. We're accountable to one another. We are a light in this community together. The building just facilitates the church. 1 John 2.19 says this. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they were really not of us. In the context of this passage, is talking about false teachers that went out. People developed a different doctrine that was inconsistent with the word. Jesus had many disciples that were following and professing disciples. And in John 6, 66, it says this. As a result of many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Please, if you have someone that has walked away from the church, a, a family member, a friend, pray. Pray, pray, pray for them. That God would open up their eyes and bring them back into the fellowship the body of Christ to help them be the people that he would have them be. See, the Colossians are to hold fast to this apostolic gospel. Now some people say, well, you know, all I need is Jesus. Well, you, you're right, you need Jesus. But God has given us word and Acts tells us how the gospel went again from Jerusalem to the outer parts of the earth. And the Again, in the rest of the books of the New Testament, they're correct epistles, so it tells us the problems. Does anyone have problems here? Yes, every one of us have problems. Well, there's problems in the church, and this tells us how they need to be addressed. And it also helps us to understand what the truth is and what is pleasing to God. We need to hang on to the Word. But again, not everyone will hang on to the Word Again, in Galatians, notice what it says. Galatians 1. I'm amazed that you so quickly deserted him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not another, only there are some of you disturbing you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached you, he is to be accursed. See, that's what the Gnosticism, the Gnostics were coming in, is they were drawing people after themselves. Drawing away from just trusting in Jesus Christ and saying that Jesus Christ is not enough. And I want to ask you the question for yourself. Is Jesus Christ enough in your own life? Because if he is enough, you will live your life differently. You will continue in his word you will be steadfast. You will be looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. God sends his people forth as ambassadors into this fallen world bearing what is, I'm going to say, the unbelievable good news of what Christ has done upon the cross. In fact, look with me. In 2 Corinthians 5.18 Now all things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. 
People often ask, well, what is God's will for me? Let's read this verse again. Now, all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. One thing I'm going to tell you, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation, and that is to bring people to Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's not about works. Works will be natural following. We don't do works to find favor, but because we recognize who he is, what he's done for us. This is important to understand. We will do good works. We will be moved by love to reach out to people, to tell people who he is and what he's done.